Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Another edition of Letterman Live back on a football Thursday in Columbus, Ohio, the greatest city on earth. Andy Baxter, from the other side of that screen. You already know that, though, because you're watching the show. Spencer Holbrook, that's me. Andy, how's it going, man? You ready to uh, make that trek up uh, up northwest, get to Wisconsin? Absolutely. Actually, uh, didn't put it up there, but there we go. Wisconsin week. Uh, okay. Yeah, I'm excited. I Honestly, I've been to Madison once before. One of my buddies used to live there for a couple of years, and I was in Chicago, and so it was nice to be able to go from Wisconsin to Illinois pretty easily. It's a really nice area, capital city. I had an easier time training from Chicago to Milwaukee and then getting from Milwaukee to Madison, but uh, they're both cool cities. Wisconsin is underrated, in my opinion. Their football team, however, uh, a little bit underwhelming this year. They were my Big Ten West pick. I thought this game was going to be a really big one in terms of like potential upset for Ohio State. I still think it's not going to be an easy win. Like I think this Wisconsin team is far better than Purdue. Uh, I think that they're probably a notch below Maryland. That's where I kind of put them in my ranking of Big Ten teams that Ohio State has faced so far. But they're not like the instantaneous Luke Fickle uh, potential 10-11 win team that I thought they could be entering the year with how many transfers they brought in. So Ohio State should be able to handle this one. But it's an interesting game nonetheless. A night game. I think we're all excited to see jump around. Yeah, it's it's going to be fun for sure. Um, you're right that it hasn't been like add fickle, kind of like add water and get, you know, a nice meal in a bag. Um, it, it hasn't been like add fickle and get Big Ten West. I don't know. I don't know if they will win the Big Ten West because they will fall back behind um, Iowa if they lose to Ohio State. And I, I think we both are in agreement that they will lose to Ohio State. So it'll still be an uphill climb. They're going to have to finish with a, a better record than Iowa in Big Ten West, which I think is going to be pretty difficult considering their schedule. But the way Iowa plays offense, I mean, who knows? So um, not not a great first year for Luke Fickle when you have the Big Ten West still in structure, whereas next year um, I, I don't think it's going to be an easier road to hoe for you to get to Indianapolis. But um, still a tricky matchup for Iowa State, especially coming off of this the Penn State game. Like if this game was after the Purdue game, I'd be like, okay, Ohio State's going to win probably by, by 30. Um and maybe I still will predict that. Who knows? Uh, I've already made my pick. I know what I picked, but nobody else does except for you um, and Tim May. Uh, but uh, I, I just think that Fickle does a good enough job where they'll be up for this game. And I think Ohio State will have to be pretty on it to make sure that they don't fall into a little bit of a trap. 
Yeah, and Luke Fickle's had experience in this, right? Facing his alma mater, facing a school that he coached for for 15 years. He already faced him when he was at Cincinnati. That game did not go well. He learned from that experience. He has been very clear this week. This week is not about him. He's been saying that since Big Ten Media Days when we saw him in Indianapolis. He was also making it very clear, like, look, this matchup is not about me. This is about this team. He even made a point in his press conference this week, like anytime I've been contacted by media members in Columbus or the Big Ten Network, I've said, hey, put a player on, talk about the game, do what you want, but this is not about me. I think that he's someone that learns from his experiences. I mean, talk about when he was the interim coach at Ohio State in 2011. That did not go well. It's the only losing season this program has had in 34 years. But the way he responded at Cincinnati, making them the first group of five team to make college football playoff, I mean, you have to think that he's someone that responds well to adversity and learns from his experiences. I just don't see a blowout happening just for that reason, kind of like I feel like he won't let it happen again. Uh, and I think there's a lot to be said about coaches like that. Yeah, I blowout is such a relative term, right? Like if Ohio State wins by 40, we'd call it a blowout. If Ohio State wins by 20, would we call it a blowout? Or is it just like a little bit over what Vegas expected? Because like if yeah. the spread is 25 and you only win by 25 and you kind of did what you expected, I don't really think that's a blowout. If the spread is 14 and you win by 25, then I think that's probably a blowout, right? So like. I don't know. Maybe it's a dumb conversation to have, but it, no. I mean, it is interesting. Like, you know, I, I predicted a, a pretty high margin of victory for Ohio state, but you know, the way Wisconsin plays offense and the way Ohio state's kind of struggling on offense, I wouldn't really call it a blowout. Yeah. I mean, it's week one, right? They, they beat Indiana by 20, 23 to 20, uh, 23 to three, but that 20 points didn't feel like 20 points. Now, if they had won 43, 23, people would say that's a blowout win. Right. So, mm -hmm. I think that blowouts are usually associated with high scoring. And I think this Wisconsin defense is good enough. And this Ohio State offense has been at times clunky enough to maybe not erupt for 40 plus, which they've only done twice this year. So that's why I think that it won't be a blowout, not because Ohio State won't win by multiple scores, yeah. but because I don't see this Wisconsin defense giving up 55 or however many points Wisconsin gave up last year to Ohio State. Is it selfish? Is it selfishly you just want to see like a fun jump around and not just like a ah, jump around? I think so. Um, I just think that's the way these games are going this year for Ohio State. And there's not a problem with that per se. Like it's a different brand of football uh, on threes. J.D. Piquel said, and I, I kind of like like that kind of sense of a way to phrase it. Like this is not a bad Ohio State team by any means. This actually could be a team that can win a national title. We've been talking about that for weeks. But it's not the same Ohio State team. They're not going to score 40 on everyone. They don't need to. And maybe there will be a time this season where they put it all together and they they light it up for 40-plus consecutive weeks. But that's not the barometer of how successful this team is. So if they only score 30 against Wisconsin on Saturday, that's not a disappointment in my book. You know, if the defense still plays as well as it's been playing, I don't think that's anything to frown about now intricacies of how they get to that 30 is something we can talk about but i just think that people need to stop measuring this offense to other offenses because this defense is not what other defenses were like for ohio state yeah so like if you score 30 but the opponent scores 10 that's sort of the same exact thing as when you used to score 45 and the other team would score 24 you know like right. take that 2019 team for example even that team by this time had given up 24 i think twice 
uh, FAU scored 24 in the opener. So, like, we measured this defense against that 2020, uh, 2019 team just because that 2019 defense was just so good and so loaded. But they got up 24 to FAU. Like, that that wasn't perfect. And this team has only given up 17 once, and that was to Maryland, who's probably – I don't – is Maryland the best offense? They've, maybe Maryland's the best offense they've played. So uh, it's debatable, obviously. I don't think Wisconsin's anywhere near the top half because I think they'll be they'd be in the bottom four of the the offenses that Ohio State's face by the time that game's over um so yeah I I think it's interesting right like this this defense is, is playing really well um so the offense should be looked at in correlation with the defense and not in correlation with past offenses yeah exactly and then and same thing with Colin Cord right like people should be comparing him to CJ Stroud CJ Stroud had to do more than Kyle McCord has to do because the defense he was dealt with was not nearly as strong. So, like, the mm-hmm. circumstances are different. It's not a one-to-one, apples-to-apples comparison, and I think that that's kind of where people go wrong with trying to figure out this team. It's a separate team. It's a separate quarterback. It doesn't mean one is better than the other. It just means that I think that this team is, is better fit for the equation to win a national championship than last year's. I mean, last year's almost stole a national championship but that was a lot of luck, honestly, to get in the right spot at the right time to be in that position. And it still ultimately didn't do it. But I think that this team, the way it plays defense, is so much more sustainable. And, you know, with Kyle McCord, yes, there's things that need to be worked out. And he's been far from perfect. But I think he's doing more than enough. Like, people call him a game manager. I think that's somewhat accurate. But he does more than a game manager, like, needs to do. And I think that I think that's where people are a little bit off in their assessment of him. Are you saying this Ohio State team is eco-friendly? They're more sustainable than past off past Ohio State teams. Hey, they might be red, but they're pretty green too. I'm gonna I'm gonna start to run with that a little bit as long as the defense plays well. I think I think the eco-friendly Buckeyes is a new way to uh, describe this team. I've, I've been trying to figure out how to like put a pulse on like what exactly this team is. Like, if you if I ask you right now, what's seven games in? What is Ohio State's identity? It's normally like you couple defense with running the ball, right? Well, Ohio State plays great defense. They don't run the ball very well. Then you couple like high-scoring offense with like opportunistic defense. Well, they're not really that high-scoring. And to be honest, the defense is great, and it doesn't have to be opportunistic because it's good, and it's just good all the time. So like the identity of this team, it's it's like the offense has its own identity, and that's like Marvin Harrison Jr. And then the defense has its own identity of like elite – like butt kickers so like it seems like there's two separate identities in this team but it works and that's kind of weird to me because you can't call the offense physical because they're not running the ball well enough for you to put the physical tag on them. i think they are a physical group but not in the the traditional way that you use that word but it's just weird man like the identity of this team and it's not a bad weird like usually if you say like oh the team doesn't have an identity what is this team it's bad it's not a bad thing it's just a new thing for ohio state I'd say the identity is resilience. I mean, the, the press uh, I think post-game press conference that Ryan Day had, I forget where it was. It might have been mid-season, maybe a little bit before. Maryland game, I think, is when it was. He said, this team doesn't panic. And I think that I go back to that quote a lot because when you look at this defense, and you mentioned it this week, there's so many times where, you know, even last game against Penn State, 20-yard run, 19-yard uh, run, and then – the defense flips the switch, and all of, all of a sudden, Penn State can't move the ball. We saw it at Purdue. Purdue gets all the way to the one-yard line. All of a sudden, 
they get backed up, miss a field goal, half ends. Uh, we saw it even earlier in the season against Maryland. Times in which Maryland was driving down, potentially going to take a 14-0 lead, they get a stop on fourth down. Uh, another stop at, at the goal line to force a field goal to go 10 up instead of 14 up. So, like, this defense and offensively, Kyle McCord, as I illustrated this week on LettermanRow.com, is so much better in the second half than he is in the first half. So that's resilience, too, of not backing down, whether it's a turnover early or it's just mistakes in terms of accuracy. So I think this is the team that doesn't panic. They're resilient. And they find a way to get stops and make plays when they need to. And I think that's their identity. Maybe resilience will come up as we talk about keys to the game for Ohio State, for Wisconsin. Uh, Andy, I will let you go first. I think there's going to be some good conversation here because this is not like a normal, like just Big Ten game for Ohio State where you expect them to just go in and roll. Like obviously there's going to be an opportunity for Ohio State to kind of steamroll over top of Wisconsin like it did last year. But it's not like this team is is just going to make it look easy against the Badgers in 40 degrees on the road. So I think there's a good conversation to be had here on what the keys to the game for Ohio State are, and I will let you go first. Yeah, I think it's important to not have a letdown after the Penn State game, not just generally, but like within the pass rushing department uh, in terms of blocking that. Because last week, all the talk was, can these tackles and Josh Fryer and Josh Simmons stand up to Chop Robinson? and Adisa Isaac. And for the most part, they did. And now Chop Robinson didn't play that full game, but Penn State still has good backup edge rushers. So now the question is this week, can they have a encore performance against pretty, I would say pretty decent edge players that uh, Wisconsin has and linebacker CJ Getz, as well as Daryl Peterson. Like they both are pretty good at getting off the edge. CJ Getz might be their most valuable defensive player, you could argue. And that is not a matchup that Ohio State can take lightly. And it's something that I've been kind of watching with this offensive line. Like, yes, they stepped up in pass protection against Notre Dame. Yes, they stepped up in pass protection against Penn State last week. But in a matchup like this where no one's really talking about that kind of matchup, can they still deliver and give Kyle McCord the time he needs on the road with a silent count in a hostile environment? That's that's probably where I was going to go. So I'm going to go a little different route here. I think a fast start. Uh, Ohio State always wants a fast start. We've talked about this team. Um, you know, people have said that it isn't a quick starting team, but um, they have been at times. I think a quick start is the most important in this game, even more so than the Penn State game, even more so than the Notre Dame game, um, the Purdue game. And you've got to start fast here. If you can put points on the board first, if you can strike first, get up, show your defense that the offense is not going to mess around at all. Um get some points on the board and get the crowd quieted down. I think that is the key, the biggest key. Not only that, but coming off an emotional win against Penn State, if you show that you can march down the field and score a touchdown or even get any sort of points right away, like you're going to be like, all right, we're settled in. We're fine. We don't have this emotional hangover. Let's play some football. I think that is so critical for this team. Like, I think this is a very good team as far as like uh, the veterans are going to keep them on track. I think Ryan Day is going to keep them on track. He's very much a – you know, we got to take this thing one game at a time. But if there's ever a spot, a spot in this schedule to have that letdown, um, it's definitely this week. And so I think that's one of the biggest things. Like they have to start quickly and, and get on the board and make sure that they're not letting Wisconsin have momentum, not letting that late arriving student section that's famous at Camp Randall to get into it once they get there. Maybe if you've got seven on the board before they even get in the stands, you're probably looking at a pretty good outcome. 
Well, key to doing that is forcing three and outs, and they were great at that against Penn State. And I think one of the biggest things, you know, as much as the clock was talked about, and like, can we just go back to that for a second? Because the clock was talked about ad nauseum at the beginning of the season. And now we realize none of that's really relevant because if your defense gets you off the field on third down, possession count discussion is irrelevant. I mean, Ohio State has had 13 plus possessions in its last two games because it's been forcing opponents to be only 433 on third down. So they're getting the ball. They're stealing possessions with good third down defensive. Like, like you said, fast start. That was the fast start against Penn State. They deferred. And they force a three and out, and then they immediately get the ball and, you know, go down, right? So, like, that is the key is third down defense for me. Can they keep this up? Can they continue to just be dominant on third down? Or at least just, like, pretty good. Because for a while at the beginning of the season, there were some struggles on third down, particularly against uh, Youngstown State and then Notre Dame. They were allowing, like, close to half of third downs to be converted. So those are the – kind of things that I'm looking for in this game. Can they keep it up? They don't need to be one of 16 forcing like Penn State to basically not have a third down conversion all game. That was insane. They don't need that, but they do need to continue to put their foot on the gas and continue on those pivotal downs. Yeah, I agree with that. You, because if you can hold Penn State to one of 16 on third down, you can hold Wisconsin. What like what's a reasonable number there? Like I don't think you're going to have that kind of effort again to be honest. Like I don't know yeah. if that's sustainable. Uh, 6% on third down, like maybe not the most sustainable thing there. But I think that if you ask this team to have under 30% on third down, you're probably looking at a pretty good win because this is a team, a Wisconsin team. I noticed on, on some rewatches like, hey, man, they're not afraid to go some like tempo stuff. And like you get a tempo team off the field on uh, on third down, you're you're going to look at more – possessions and i think you're going to look at more scoring opportunities and in games like this with a defense like wisconsin and the way that they play football but also like the athletes that they have against ohio state they're, they're going to get worn down if ohio state's offense is on the field pushing the tempo more and more and i think that's that's one of the things like third down like you said i, I think that's that's a really good point there I, i'm gonna go with travion henderson i do think he actually will play in this game um i know that uh, a lot of people say Ryan Day's been yanking our chain, been messing with us a little bit, gamesmanship. Um, but uh, he seems pretty adamant this week, more so than any other week, that Travion Henderson is back and full go, as he told uh, Paul Keels and Jim Lachey on the, the 97.1 The Fan uh, radio show today. Um, get Travion Henderson back and going. And if it's not Trey then get Dallin Hayden going. And if it's not Dallin, who you apparently are pushing to play, it's not Dallin, get Chip and Mayan going. Like, you've got to get this run game to a point where it doesn't just feel like they're making progress. They actually have to do it. And I, I wrote about on LettermanRoad.com on Thursday. Josh Fryer said it felt like they had more rushing yards than 79. I think that's because he didn't realize until after the game that rushing yards also included, like, sack yards and negative, like, lateral passes to, like, the flat. But um, it felt like they had more, but they didn't. It's like the Isaiah Thomas meme. Like, I felt like I made the criteria to be selected, but I wasn't. Um, you know, so, like, I think they need to to put a good number on the board um, in the running department and show that they can do it against a good defense. And that, that there's a great opportunity to do it this weekend. 
I think it's such a dumb rule, by the way, or that just the stat correction thing that, that that's the way it is. I think that, uh, you know, it should go against passing yards, if anything, right? Any of those yeah. negative plays, if you're going to take it away, take it off of the quarterback's passing yards, or at least a team passing total or something. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I agree with you. They need to run the ball effectively. And the last Big Ten team they faced that had a somewhat struggling run defense was Purdue um, only a couple of games ago, but they, they were able to effectively run the ball with Dallin Hayden and using more of a balance with the gap and zone scheme split where they're traditionally a wide zone running team. And, you know, this Wisconsin team's 10th in the Big Ten and, and, and run defense. So this is another susceptible team where Ohio State could get some things going on the ground. And especially if it's Trayvon Henderson, as you mentioned, just like very explosive, able to hit a home run. And that also kind of distorts how effective they are on the ground. Like that Notre Dame game, they ran for over 100 yards, but 61 of them were, of course, on that breakaway touchdown from Trayvon Henderson. So he does give you that ability to just break one loose at any point to change a game and maybe make that box score look a little bit better. But I agree that I think this is a, a pivotal moment for Ohio State. I don't think that this is going to be like a run game that ever gets going for consecutive games, but it needs to be more serviceable than it has been. And so I think this is an opportunity to build some momentum for them. Yeah. You can, you can have Maserati Marv out there if you'd like, but you need the, uh, you need the the running game to be like a Camry. That's going to get you like 300,000 miles and, and just be always be there. So one of those, one of those sports cars breaks down and Mecca is not there. You might need that that Accord, that Camry, the, the Honda Civic, uh, you know, to get you somewhere. And the running game can do it. Like, it's so weird. The, the Notre Dame game, Andy, it felt like they were worse against the run and they had over 100 yards. The Penn State game, it felt like they were better running and they only had 79 yards. So it's – the home run ball can really do it for you. And you can be a boomer bust offense when it comes to running the ball as long as the bust is like three yards and not negative one, um, which is what we've seen a little too much from this team this year. Uh, but if you're going 65 or four and there's no difference, well, that's okay. If you're going 65 or 1.3, then you're looking at a little different proposition that you probably don't, that's not probably not a game you want to start playing. Well, I think one thing that we like just, and I haven't talked about it much this season, but I think it deserves talking about more is the running backs play a part in this, right? And I feel like just the way it's worked out with injuries, which it didn't feel like we'd have last year again, we've gotten last year again, where it's just carousel, merry-go-round of running backs. You don't know who's going to go when and at what time. And it just feels like they're playing a part in some of this disconnect too in the running game. I mean, Chip Trainum got the start, was back from injury against Penn State and just didn't look like he had it, was missing some holes. Of course, he missed that block and pass protection, which caught everyone's attention. But running the football, I didn't think he was very effective. I don't think he was choosing the right holes at times. I don't think he was running extremely hard like he usually does. And then when Maya Williams was in there, he's been averaging fewer than two yards per carry after contact this season, which last year, that was his best thing. He was averaging close to 4.4 yards after contact per carry. And my Williams, I don't know if it's an injury. They haven't disclosed to us what he's had this year. But even back to training camp, he's missed some time. So, like, when he's been in, he hasn't been 100%. At times, Chip Trainum hasn't been 100%, or at least running effectively. And at times, to Trayvon Henderson, too, you know, he's just not been out there for three games. But even in the first couple of games, he was a little bit boom or bust. And so it just feels like, aside from Dallin Hayden, you just don't really know what you're going to get, even from the running back aspect. And it's hard to delineate, like, 
how much of this is on the running back, how much of this is on the offensive line. But I think it's fair to say that both parties haven't been at their best this season. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. And then my last key to the game is press the mark button. Like, it just works. And there is not a single player on offense, defense, coaching staff, in the stands, on Ohio State's roster that can cover Marvin Harrison Jr. If you give Kyle McCord time and this Penn State pass or this Wisconsin pass rush is not the best that Ohio State will see. It's not what Penn State presented to them last week, and they still got Marvin Harrison Jr. the ball. If they can just get Marvin Harrison Jr. the ball, they will move the ball. That that's just the way that it is. And um he's too good for him not to have seven, eight, nine, ten catches on 14, 15, 16 targets. Like I, I think we're at the point where that has to be part of it has to be baked into the cake at this point. And so my key, my last key to the game is just like get Marvin Harrison Jr. the ball. It, good things happen. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I I'm all for that, as you know. And I think that it just happens in college football sometimes. Like sometimes you just have a player that's almost broken in the sense where they're so good that no one can cover them. It's like literally a video game. And we've seen it with quarterbacks, seen it with wide receivers, even seen it with running backs at certain years. There's just some times where a player is almost unbeatable and you got to make the most of it. And this is a certain point where like with Marvin Harrison Jr., he's probably he's almost definitely going to the league after this season. I mean, I would put a lot of money on that at this point. So like, you got to use him while you have him. And I'm interested to see how much they move him around when Emeka Buka comes back because he might be back this week. How much are they going to be playing Marvin the slot? I think they'll still move him around. He was in the slot for, I think, 15%, around 15% of his pass snaps last week against Penn State. He's had some crucial catches and touchdowns in the slot this year. Uh, Wisconsin, their most targeted defensive back, former Boston College player Jason Matry, he's been in the nickel this year. He's uh, been their most targeted defensive back this season. So moving Marvin to get a better matchup, create those mismatches, as he said this week, I think will be critical, uh, especially because Wisconsin actually does have a pretty good corner um, in Ricardo Hallman, who has four picks uh, this season and zero touchdowns allowed. So like they do have some good players on defense. Finding ways to create mismatches for Marv, moving him around, even with a Mecca back, I think would be huge. Yeah, and getting a Mecca back would be – would be equally as huge in my opinion because that takes that puts so much pressure on uh you know it puts so much pressure on Marvin Harrison Jr. to be so good when Mecca's not in there. But when Mecca is in there, it puts so much pressure on the defensive coordinator and everyone on the defense to know where two wide receivers are. And then you're even more susceptible to the running game. I think Emeka Buka might be the key to unlocking this Ohio State run game once he comes back because they've already simplified things. They're already making things easier on these offensive linemen. It looks cleaner. Once you get another guy out of the box who has to account for Emeka Buka, not just Marvin Harrison Jr., I truly believe that's what's going to unlock the next phase of this offense. Because he, in his own right, could be a double team that guy kind of guy. So if if he's back, I think you could see this running game really start to not take off. I don't know if it's ever going to take off, but I think you could start to see it it be much more effective um, than it has been. Yeah, well, we all talked about like in the Notre Dame game when Marvin came back from injury and didn't really miss a beat in that game. How effective that was to have him there, just his presence. And I think you can make the same argument for Mecca Buka. You know, even if he's not 100%, which I don't really expect him to be, given the nature of what it seems like his injury is with an ankle, like 
I don't know if he's going to be 100%, but even just having him out there is a decoy effect. They could still use him. They won't play him if he can't, obviously, uh, you know, make receptions or anything like that. But I think the fact that they can have him on the field, like you're saying, is so good because you can't stack the box in the same way when you got two potential first-round picks on the outside and then, you know, throw him into the slot where he normally is and you got even more problems. So I agree. Like, he's someone that diversifies this offense immediately yeah yeah on the flip side andy some an offense that's not as diverse as they probably hope they would be is wisconsin um it's kind of braylon allen in the gang um it's not a bad offense but it's not a a great offense i think that's fair i don't think i'm being too harsh there about the fine folks who run the offense up there in madison but uh, here's the big question it's right underneath this can ohio state stop braylon allen yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's it's broken tackles, right? And Ohio State's been pretty good this season in terms of making tackles and and also not letting things break open in the open field. We talked about how they haven't given up plays of 40 or more yards. I think a big reason why is because they've been gang tackling and they've been racing to the ball with multiple hats and they haven't been letting one broken tackle turn into six. And I think at times last year, that was an issue, especially further in the back end. Like those safeties weren't always making that open field tackle. This year it's happening. So broken tackles are going to happen with Braylon Allen. He's so good at it, either as a receiver or as a runner. Question is, can you gang and swarm the ball and make those tackles on the second and third go around? Yeah, he's he's different than a lot of the Wisconsin running backs we've seen, in my opinion. Um, a lot of them have just been like, okay, you're – a good player who's going to run behind this big, burly offensive line, and you've got enough speed to get there. And even Jonathan Taylor, I thought, who was really, really special, I think he he and J.K. Dobbins in 2019 ended with the exact same amount of rushing yards, 2003, um, in that 2019 season. He really struggled against Ohio State because Ohio State had the athletes to move around this Wisconsin offensive line and get him to the ground. And as good as he is – it just didn't work well enough against Ohio State. I think the Braylon Allen rushing attack is he's so different that it could work against Ohio State. You know, if you have Tommy Eikenberg and Steel Chambers just miss a couple tackles, um, he's gonna burn you. And and it's not because he's so good at making you miss. And so that's I think one of the biggest concerns for me with Ohio State is like the linebackers have been really good this year. I don't think they've been bad, but there have been times where they seem to just be a little off. And so I, I think if you've got a game where these linebackers are, are off, I don't know if they'll ever be bad, but if they're awful, even a little bit, you're, you might run into some problems with Braylon Allen. Yeah, especially in those one-on-one situations where you've seen either Tommy Eigenberg not contain well and, and let the ball carrier go off to the edge or whether it's Steel Chambers being juked out in a one-on-one. Um, that has happened at times this year. And so I agree that that's definitely something to watch for. I will say, though, uh, with this Wisconsin offense, now with a backup quarterback, Tanner Mordecai was a starter, transferring from SMU. He broke his hand, so he's out. So now you have Braden Locke, who's a three-star guy, uh, coming in his redshirt freshman. He made his first start last week and had a comeback win against Illinois, 18 straight points, which is great. Illinois is not a great football team this year, though. And he's been completing around 50% of his passes. If you can make Wisconsin one-dimensional, I don't think Braylon Allen can be Braylon Allen. And so if they can shut down Braden Locke in the passing game and just make Wisconsin try to find a way to work on the ground, 
they can stack the box a little bit and get creative with ways to stop Braylon Allen from being nearly as versatile as he can be. If there's one person I trust to uh, get creative and how to stop a good running back, I think it would be Jim Knowles. Um, last year, things just got a little bit away from him in the Michigan game. But other than that, like they were really good um, at stopping some of the best running backs on the schedule. I, I think the deep pass was more their problem last year than the, the, the long runs by and large. Um, you know, you had your moments here and there, but I think it was more so like you were susceptible to the long ball and pass. But uh, I think Jim Knowles is going to have something cooked up on Saturday for what Wisconsin wants to do on the ground game. Yeah. And also like to what I was saying before with the game script, you know, maybe it's that Wisconsin like has to pass, like they have no option. We saw that with Drew Aller. I mean, they threw the ball probably way more than they wanted to against Ohio State last weekend. And that's because they had to. I mean, it wasn't effective on the ground. I mean, I think they – honestly, I think Penn State should have ran the ball a whole lot more than they did, and I'm not quite sure why they didn't. But it did feel like that they felt the pressure to throw more. And I don't know. If you can make Wisconsin feel that same pressure, that's kind of what you're looking for for those quick three and outs, steal some possessions, and control the pace of the game. Well, yeah, because – I mean, when when Penn State was running the ball, they were doing it relatively well compared to what a lot of people have done against Ohio State this year. And then all of a sudden they're like, yeah, you know what? We've got this shiny toy at, at quarterback, and we're going to make sure that we use him in the three years we got it. You know, like it was almost like forcing the issue with, with throwing the ball when you really didn't have to. Well, that's the thing about Ohio State. Like at least they know who they are. Like, like they're not – I think this Ohio State team, like, if they're not running against Wisconsin and it's 10 to 10, we saw this against Maryland. If it's 10 to 10, they're going to throw the ball and win by throwing the ball. And um, they were comfortable doing that. It seemed like Penn state was never comfortable winning the way that they could have won last week. And that's why they didn't win. So, you know, Wisconsin wants to do one thing. They want to run the ball with Braylon Allen, but they also are working in this new aerial assault with, uh, Phil Longo is the offensive coordinator, and and the way that he operates, they're trying to work that into, you know, how many times can we get Braylon Allen the ball? How much can we do this? But also, um, we can pass now, and it's like, um, you know, they can pass. Of course, they can pass now, um, and and they just it just depends on whether they do it well, and they won't they won't even go to it if if Braylon Allen's having a good day. Yeah, I mean, they, it's technically called an air raid offense, but it's hardly an air raid offense right now. Yeah, especially you know, it changes a little bit too with the back quarterback in. Um, but even with Tanner Mork, you look at the stats; he's averaging like six point seven yards per attempt or something, and uh, not what you think of when you're thinking of an air raid offense. I think that they're trying to shift into that eventually. I mean, they do have some interesting pieces, and as I mentioned in the opening, like this Wisconsin team reached deep into the transfer portal, like did not say, I mean, this was no Colorado, right? But like they did have a little bit of a transformation with this roster. And some of that was at the receiver position. Uh, Will Pauling from Cincinnati, uh, familiar face for, for Luke Fickle, has been their leading receiver. Uh, his first touchdown actually threw a pass too in last week's game against uh, Illinois. So he's someone to watch out for. Uh, Shimre DK uh, is is another receiver. I think he's a team captain. Um, he's someone that stands out too. But like they don't. I mean, they, they spread the ball around. I think there's ten wide receivers, or not ten wide receivers, five wide receivers with ten or more catches this season. 
So they, they get a good job of, of distributing the bat, the ball in the passing game. But like, there's no one that you're looking at. That's like a, Oh, everyone in the big 10 knows who this is circle them. Uh, this is going to be a tough tax for Denzel Burke, Jordan Hancock, et cetera. Like there's no one that jumps out to me on the perimeter that is a particularly hard matchup. And the one thing that Ohio State had to deal with last week and at Notre Dame was the tight ends. And there's not really a tight end this week that jumps out at me for Wisconsin. Yeah, who was it a couple years ago? Uh, Cephas, I think, was was the oh, yeah. who was good. And then uh, Nick Toon is another guy. We can just start naming guys here, Wisconsin guys. Um, that that impressed you that you kind of had to always know where they were. Um, doesn't seem like that's the case. And you know, Jake Ferguson ain't walking through that door um, in the tight end department. So yeah, it's an interesting offense though. And Ohio State, I, I'm not going to say Ohio State's going to have its hands full defending it, but Ohio State, it's it's now an offense where you can't get lulled to sleep with the run anymore, like you used to with Wisconsin. Like you used to just be able to like default, okay, engage eight um, on the Ask Madden. And you're going to stop the Wisconsin run because you're Ohio State and you have better athletes. But you can't really do that anymore with them. And I think that's what makes this a little bit of a unique challenge. Is like this is the first time Ohio State's going to face an offense like this um, from Wisconsin. And it's on the road. And it's at night. And it's the coldest game they've played all year. Yeah. We're getting into that time of the year, right, where I want to see common court, cold weather game. I don't think it's going to be a problem for him. But, like, you always like to watch your quarterback or whatever team you're covering to see how they can handle the elements. We've seen them in some rain and uh, gripping the football has been something that's been a problem with him. You know, whether it's the fumble that almost happened against Penn State, which would have completely changed that game. Ryan Day said so. I agree with that. Uh, he's had a fumbling issue, whether it shows up on the box score or not. He's also made some dangerous throws. Like the fact that he's only got a one next to his interception column is pretty astounding to me, like some pretty good luck this season um yeah he's he could have had a few more touchdowns that were called back for certain things here and there but he's been lucky with avoiding some turnovers this season i'm still watching for that every week can he play a cleaner game even if it shows up as zero fumbles and zero interceptions i feel like he hasn't played a completely clean game against power competition this year i think he will at least one game this season and he needs to he talked about that this week you wrote about it when is that game happening? Is that this week? We'll see. One thing that I'm watching for this week, Andy, and maybe it's just my, you know, you know how I like to say big, dumb football guy? Like maybe it's just my big, dumb football guy brain that wants to see this. But like, okay, it's going to be 38 degrees, 45, 38 to 45 degrees, depending on where you get your weather. Um, and uh, Ohio State has had, like quarterbacks from Georgia, they've had quarterbacks from California, they've had wide receivers from Texas and California, they've had like uh, running backs from some warm weather places. Okay, so hear me out. Kyle McCord and Marvin Harrison Jr., two of the, the best players on the offense, are from Pennsylvania. Cold weather state. Julian Fleming, Pennsylvania. JT Tuimoloau, Washington. Cold weather place. Emeka Buka, Washington. Some of the biggest stars on this team – are all from cold weather places. And it's like the first time in a while we could say that about Ohio State. The one position that's all warm weather players is cornerback. And so I am anxious to see how the corners respond because I know Tommy and Steele are going to be fine. Tommy is going to embrace the cold weather. But like Jordan Hancock, Georgia. Uh, Dave Snigbenosin, he, oh, he's from New Jersey. Okay, but he played at Ole Miss. Okay, so they're, they're covered with that. Denzel Burke, Arizona. 
Maybe I'm just stupid, but I've been thinking about this all week about how the biggest names on this Ohio State roster for the first time in a while are all from cold weather states. And I think this team in hand might handle cold weather a little better since we're starting to get into cold weather. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's something <laughs> where they, they all travel everywhere, right? They play these games and they're 15, 16. They travel different parts of the country. Like they live in a state. Sometimes that's not even where they play. And, you know, these guys have been everywhere. But it's an interesting point. Uh, it's it's funny you bring that up. Yeah, I mean, I think that, like, I was thinking back when you mentioned Tommy embracing the cold. I remember last year, I think it was, like, leading up to the Michigan game. Maybe it was the Maryland week. One of those late season weeks. It had been snowing here in Columbus, one of the first days in the early winter. And they were practicing outside in the snow. And they were asking, like, Steele about it. And he was like, oh, I hate the snow. Like. You know, he's a Georgia guy. He's like, yeah, I, I hate the snow. And someone asked, like, well, how's Tommy? And he was like, well, oh, Tommy, you know, he just he loves he just loves just being out there. And like all you can hear is him growling. But like he's just and I'm just envisioning Tommy Eigenberg wearing 35 growling in the snow. And uh, yeah, he's definitely someone that would embrace that. But I think this it's an interesting thing to think about. Like that's going to be pretty cool a night game. But then they're going to have the same thing November 11th. They play here at night against Michigan State, so better get used to it, right? And then uh, a couple weeks ago, I just went ahead and looked at the forecast in Ann Arbor for November 25th. It already said maybe some snow. So the last time we were up in Ann Arbor, there was some snow. So you're going to have to deal with it at some point. you have a forecast um, out for November 25th right now? I mean, the forecast for tomorrow is not accurate. So is the forecast yeah. for November 25th accurate? I mean, yeah. is it accurate? take it all with a grain of salt. Uh, we're not, we're not anti-meteorology here. We're just asking questions. We're just asking questions. Uh, anyway, let's get into the, the, the segment that I love. This is one of my favorite things we do every week on Thursdays. Uh, Buckeyes who need to step up. Um, we, we Usually three, four guys we each name. Um, I will let you go first again um, because I'm a nice person. Um, let me know in the comments if you think I'm a mean person. And we'll debate about it. Uh, but uh, Buckeyes who need to step up. Who's number one? Uh, not number one, but I'm going to mention them first because I'm going to keep mentioning them every week until they play a flawless game, and that is the special teams unit because I bring them up every week, and every week there is some kind of blunder or mistake. And last week it was the muff punt, and you know that, that's got to be on Jaden Ballard, and that was said by the staff this week. He's got to be able to call that out. Is he still returning punts if Emeka Buka is back? That's something I think was interesting. I'll, I'll watch out for that because you know even if Emeka plays at receiver – I don't know if they would have them returning punts. Um, so I'm going to be watching for who's returning punts and if there's any flaws there. There's also a missed field goal by Jaden Fielding, his first miss of the year. He also has a mixed extra point this season. We all know the botch long snap. So there's just been too many mistakes on special teams this year. I remember the Notre Dame game after they scored the go-ahead touchdown. They kicked out of bounds after that. So like, there's been just too many things where you need a game where you're flawless on special teams. And that's what I'm – and I'm going to keep bringing it up, Spencer, until they play a game where they're flawless on special teams. Hey, you're going to keep beating the special teams drum, and I appreciate that. There's a brand to be upheld with Andy back, being Andy Backstrom. So How did last nice. season end? How did last season end? That's all I'll say. Yeah, in the Michigan game too. And then, you know, so uh, I'm not I'm not going to going to question you on it. Like you're the special teams guru here, and and we we must, must appreciate our special teams king. Um, I will go with um, 
I'm going to go Josh Proctor because I think he's going to need to be in good run support. And um, he's not a guy who's missed a lot of tackles this year. He's a guy who's who has played up and down in his career. And I think that we're past that now. This is a new Josh Proctor. I think we're completely past that. But I think he does need to step up and play a really clean, good game because he's not going to be in the back end very much. I think he's going to be in the box a little more. And him in run support, he's been critical for this team in run support this year. And if he can do it this week against the best running back, potentially that they're going to play all year. I think Blake Corum is a really, really good back. Braylon Allen is going to ha- has a case to be the best back. I mean, you could you could fist fight with all these guys. Um, you know, Singleton, Allen, Allen, the second Allen, Braylon, and Catron, and then Corum and Edwards. Um, Braylon might be the best one that they face. So I think Josh Proctor is going to need to be huge in run support yet again, um, and. You know, this is just another test for him, another test for this defense. I like that pick. Um, sneaky, good game from Lathan Ransom coming up. That's what I'm saying. Uh, I'm going with Carson Hinsman. You know, we talked about him at times. I think I brought him up Notre Dame week. This is another hostile environment. And it's a night game. It's going to be cold, and you're going to have a silent count. And it's something that, you know, Josh Fryer talked about this week. Doesn't love the silent count. It's hard to play with, I imagine. Uh, haven't been in that environment myself, but I could imagine that would be really difficult. Carson Hinsman's had a lot on his plate this year. We've talked about how it was unexpected that he's had this rise. I think all things considered, he's handled it probably as well as he could, uh, given the situation and the circumstances. This is a tough environment for him. Back in his home state, big game. Uh, I wonder how many family he'll have there. And I think that, uh, yeah, it's a a chance to stand up and and play well and uh, control this offensive line. It's a good pick. That's a really good pick. Um, I'm going to stay on the defensive side of the ball and go Mike Hall. Um, Johnny Newton was a menace last week, Illinois, um, against Wisconsin. And then he was ejected for targeting. But he was also a menace before he was ejected for targeting, not after he was ejected for targeting. Um, And I think Mike Hall may be able to do the same damage to Wisconsin. The interior of this Wisconsin offensive line is sus, um, as the kids say. So I will go with Mike Hall because if there's going to be a Mike Hall game, it probably is this one. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. It's honestly uh, something we've been waiting for, right? We, we talked about last year, Michigan State game, game game. And after that point, we we're kind of waiting to see if there was another one. He was obviously dealing with some injury issues. He's played pretty well recently, Mike Hall has, and I think that's partly because Tyreek Williams has been so dominant. You can't really block both those guys super well in the interior. Mm-hmm. But I agree, like we haven't had that, wow, this is the Mike Hall game. And I, I wonder if this is the week, so that's a good pick. Yeah, for me, I'll stay on offense. Uh, I'm just going to go with Kate Stover because I, I think that last year in this matchup, he did particularly well. Um, you know, he's a player that I feel like was added to the Blitnikoff award watch list this, this week. And for good reason, he's someone that I feel like is getting like, he should be getting more hype. Even I think he's getting some, some flowers from this local beat in the media, which I think is obviously deserved, but I still don't feel like he's getting the national recognition he deserves outside of that watch list edition. And I think that he's someone that as these weeks stack up and he starts to maybe you know, rise up on the tight end leaderboard for this program record book. I think we're going to hear more and more about him. And I think he has another big game against Wisconsin. 
I will stay on the defensive side of the ball. My final pick um, is Jack Sawyer. Um, quietly good against the run, um, more so than I think pass rush. He's been decent in pass rush here the last couple of weeks, but I think he's been better against the run. I don't know if the advanced numbers bear that out, or maybe it's just my eye test, and my eye test probably isn't good enough. So maybe that's not true, but I think that he's been pretty decent. Um, JT Tuimolo, obviously the star of the show last week, he's going to be the star again this week because he's so good at everything. Like he can do, um, everything you want against the run. He can do everything you want in pass rush. Excuse me. Um, but I think this is an opportunity for Jack Sawyer as more attention shifts over to JT Tuimolo as Kenyatta Jackson and Caden Curry continue to build momentum and kind of start to, to, to take on a bigger role. I think this is a pivotal moment for Jack to, to keep, keep, you know, progressing and showing why he's like the guy opposite of JT Tuimolo. So I think he needs to step up this week, have a nice game, remind people, you know, why he was so beloved coming out of high school and, and coming into the Buckeyes as a, a, a you know, a five-star player coming out of high school. He, he's got a good chance this week. As, like I said, as more attention goes to JT Tuimolo, you're going to see Jack Sawyer have more opportunities. He needs to take advantage of those opportunities to make it happen. Yeah, I think every rewatch I've done of every game this season, I've come away more impressed with Jack Sawyer than I was watching the game live. And I would recommend that to anyone to rewatch these games because not just Jack Sawyer, but there's other players you might not notice on game day because they're not making the sack. They're not making the TFL. They're not making, you know, a catch for a touchdown. But maybe it's a run block. Like Julian Fleming has been a great run blocker this year. Maybe it's a run defense play that Jack Sawyer makes because, you know, you're not watching for that. There are certain things that I recommend if you watch a game over again, you'll see. And I know Spencer does a great job breaking that down on his rewatch for LettermanRow.com. But there are certain things I just recommend that you go and watch back because, like, wait till you make a judgment on a player before you watch the game twice. Like, you got to see it again. It's almost like one of those great movies. You know, like, you'll catch things on the second rewatch or whatever. I feel like that's the way when you watch this Ohio State football team. There's so much talent. It's really fun to rewatch a game because there's certain guys you'll miss. And you'll see on the second go around. Jack Sawyer is one of those guys. It's like finding Superman in the Seinfeld episode, man. Like <laughs> you're not going to see it the first time, I promise. But if you rewatch it, you're going to find it. I'm not saying Jack Sawyer Superman, but I'm not saying he's not. I've never seen Jack Sawyer and Superman in the same room, Andy. Uh, you know, so who's to say? Uh, maybe a little bonus one. You got a, you got one more that you want to squeeze in there? Now you go first if you got one. Common Court. It's another road start. It's at night. You got to handle it, and it's going to be way colder than it was in Notre Dame. That place was rocking in Notre Dame. This is a another beast. Um, you get another top ten win. You don't get an off week to celebrate. You got to turn right around, get on the road, and be better than you were against Penn State. And that's a challenge, man. That is not an easy thing to do. Um, and we might learn more about Kyle McCord in Game Eight than we did in any game previously, because this is a a challenge for a quarterback to come off of a performance where you think you could have done better and then go do better on the road at night with a hostile crowd. So I'm going to, I'm just going to put it on Kyle McCord. And I think he's got to be great uh, in this. He doesn't have to be great, but I think he's got to be, you know, continuing to progress, continuing to get better um, as we get into November. Cause the calendar flips, man, it's, it's, it's real here in the last five weeks of the year. Yeah. More consistent is the key for him. I guess my bonus for a we'll move along is Travion Henderson. Maybe it's obvious, but like, if he's going to play this week, he has to be himself because they've waited long enough to play him. I would imagine he's fully healthy at this point. If he does indeed play, 
And there's a lot of people that are questioning him right now. And like, there's not a lot out there about this injury. I don't want to speculate what it was or what it is. And now he's got to prove it. You know, whether you like it or not, that's the way this sport goes. If you're not playing, people are raising questions. And when you get a chance to play, you got to put those questions to rest. And I think Travion Henderson has an opportunity to do so against Wisconsin if he does play. And he can shut everyone up with a big game if he does break loose, not one but two, or whatever he does. If he has an effective day on the ground, that's a great opportunity for him to put that to bed and move on. Andy, there's a lot of people watching this video, okay? We got to at least poke the elephant in the room, like address it a little bit before we get into week nine. Yeah, so yeah. I, so while we're on the video, I get a text from you know some friends of the show that uh, SI's Ross Dellinger, and Yahoo Sports Ross Dellinger, I'm sorry, says that TCU knew about Michigan science before the college football playoff semifinal and crafted dummy signs and then went on to dump 51 on the Wolverines. What, like, you are just hearing that now for the very first time. You did not know about this at all. I just found out about it. They used dummy signs because they were warned about the sign stealing. The dummy signs threw Michigan off and TCU scores 51. What, like, what's your reaction to that? Well, props to TCU. Uh, I guess they didn't have the same effective game plan against uh, Georgia in the national championship. But uh, (laughs) yeah, I mean, that is, that is wild. I feel like every day we're learning something new, something more confusing. Like I feel like every day we have more questions than we have answers. We have some answers in certain ways, but like it just leads to more questions. And uh, I I really wonder how fast this is going to move along at this point, because it feels like every single day we have more information. And at what point does the Big Ten office do something about that information and act swiftly? Uh, I'm really interested to see because in all my life covering college football, watching college football, I have not seen a, I guess, move to act so quickly in terms of discipline mid-season, as we might see. But I don't know, because it's it's kind of a thing like I'll see it, I'll believe it when I see it. And until that happens, I'm still kind of wondering, like, is this really going to affect the 2023 season? And that's my question. Yeah, yeah. I saw somebody finally give it a nickname that's not just like Signgate. Um, I think I, I saw somebody call it, because of the Marine is the one who was like at the forefront of it, um, steel team six. I think we might have to stick with that one. Um, I, I'm very, very intrigued by what happens here. Um, th- does the big 10 take the, the biggest course of action with the ch- big 10 championship game? Do they go DEFCON and decide that it's done for the year? Do they let it play out till the end of the year? and then put an asterisk beside a potential national championship or a Big Ten title, um, do they forfeit or vacate? I think that forfeit is probably the better answer than vacate, considering the competitive advantage. There are just so many layers to this onion, and it is developing every day. I imagine on our drive to Wisconsin tomorrow, there's going to be some sort of news because it's a Friday, and we're going to get a 5 p.m. news dump of some sort. So we'll see, man. Like I. I want to talk about it a lot, but at this point, coming from somebody who has the words Ohio State in their Twitter bio, um, even if it says Ohio State coverage and not like diehard Ohio State fan or Ohio State alum, like 
there's some things that are just associated with people like us where it's like, okay, if we say something about the Michigan thing, people think that it's anti-Michigan. But in reality, like I just am intrigued by what actually is going to happen with this. Yeah, and I'm interested to see what kind of precedent is sent, like because we just haven't seen something like this. I mean, the only things that I've seen compared to this, and that's through Thamel, Pete Thamel's reporting, you know, in his story, he tied it back to like Spygate with the New England Patriots and of course the Houston Astros with their sign stealing. But I thought it was really interesting that, uh, you know, like we've had other coaches talk about it, not Ohio State coaches, but nationally there's been coaches that have talked about it. And that's been interesting to hear. Some are like less into it, you know, like saying it, it doesn't really matter that much. Others are more expressive of what's going on. So I'm just really intrigued to see what precedent is set with the punishment that's handed down and how much of an effect it has on 2023 versus long-term. Cause I think we can all agree. There's going to be some kind of long-term punishment for Michigan. It's a question of how quickly does it act? And is, and not only how quickly does it act with the big 10, but does the NCAA follow through as well? Like what if the big 10 hands down a punishment for a postseason ban, like that Michigan can't play in the big 10 championship or something, but then the CFP and the NCAA or whatever, they both like don't do anything about it. And then it's, is Michigan suddenly still eligible for the CFP, even though they didn't play in the Big Ten Championship? So, like, those are the things I'm thinking about right now. We just don't know the answers. Good thing for Michigan is they don't play a game this week. So um, maybe that's actually a terrible thing for Michigan yeah. that they don't play a game this week. Um, right. I think their coaches are on the road. So, like, they're re out recruiting. I'm not really sure how you recruit during this. Um, but if they're on the road, watch out. Coming to a stadium near you. I guess. Um, I've got picks, Andy. I mean, like, it's week nine. Um, we're not talking about last week. We're on to this week. Um, Spencer Sheet, the Ohio State betting column. Uh, I don't bet on Ohio State games, but I give advice for games, uh, for the Ohio State games. Maybe you want to bet on them. If you do, go to lettermanroad.com. You can get all that coverage for $1 for the first month, um, which gets you now through the Michigan game. Um, I think it's a pretty good deal. $1 gets you through the Michigan game. So, uh, that was 3-0 and on the Ohio State picks. I was not 3-0 and last week. Uh, but this week, we are going with the following. Wyoming plus 5.5 against Boise State. Boise State stinks. Wyoming can't defend the run. I understand that. Wyoming um, lost to Air Force. I understand that. But Boise stinks. So I'm going to go Wyoming plus 5.5. That's a good football team in the Mountain West. Oh, uh, Georgia, Florida over 48.5. I think that one's going to get a little sideways. It either is going to be like 41 to 10 Georgia, or it's going to be like 31, 28. Either way, cha-ching, we're winning. Um, Cyclones minus two and a half against Baylor. Iowa State is finding its way. Baylor stinks. Um, Baylor is bad. So I don't care if it's in Waco. I'm taking Iowa State minus two and a half. Uh, Chip and Joanna be damned. And then uh, – Cal plus 10 and a half just because they face Alex Grinch. We are not. Yeah, there you go. How much does Caleb Williams care to play against Cal? Now being out of the college ball playoff race and probably out of the Heisman conversation, how much does, uh, you know, Brendan Rice care to play against Cal? And how much do does USC in general care? Because I'm very curious to see where this USC thing goes. And, yeah, 10 and a half is a lot for a defense that stinks out loud. And then finally, I'd ask for a drum roll, but the people probably wouldn't like that. It is the Battle of the Bricks, the game everyone's been talking about all week. 
the greatest rivalry in sport. It is the Miami Redhawks on the road taking on your green and white Ohio Bobcats in the best rivalry in the MAC. Suck it, Toledo BG. Ohio minus anything. I got it at six and a half. It's now at seven and a half. I'd take it at 109 and a half. We're, the Bobcats are covering. The Bobcats are going to beat backup quarterback Miami and move into first place in the MAC East, set up a MAC championship game potentially against Toledo. Give me the Bobcats minus six and a half. It's now at seven and a half. Give me a minus anything. Hey, they had Bobcats highlights on. At the shoe the other week, it's a good oh, one. Electric, it was electric. There's a there's a couple other games this week that I think are quite appealing. Uh, I I feel like every week I'm watching Florida State and just seeing like, are they gonna crack? Are they gonna crack? They play Wake this week. Uh, sneaky, sneaky one in Winston Salem, super small they stadium. Lost Wake last year. Yeah. You never know what's going to happen. Uh, that one, talk about a get right game, by the way. Penn State playing Indiana. Sorry, Josh Fryer. I don't think they're a bowl team this season. Uh, but yeah, Penn State should get right there. Uh, Oregon, Utah. Pac 12, man, every week is just delivering in terms of great matchups. That's another one I'll be watching for. And, you know, both teams are at risk of two losses, but both teams are still in play for that Pac 12 championship. I feel like there's a big one in the ACC with Duke Louisville. I feel like we're still trying to figure out like how good both of those teams are. Louisville is a team that's been matched up with Ohio State in a lot of bowl projections, which of course doesn't make Ohio State fans happy because that would be outside of the CFP in the Orange Bowl. But that's something that I'm watching for to see if either of those two teams are for real, like people think they are, at least being in the top 25. And finally, uh, I'll probably go down to, mm, I don't know. If you look at the schedule, there's a lot of games where, like, I don't know, Tennessee, Kentucky is one I probably pay attention to. Like, Tennessee just got beat up, blew a lead against Alabama. Can they respond against Kentucky, who had a lot of hype going into their game against Georgia? SEC, I don't know if you're for SEC talk, but if you are, that's an SEC game that's more entertaining to me, at least, than like watching Georgia beat up on Florida. It's always a fun game because Kentucky thinks of Tennessee as a rival and Tennessee thinks of itself as ahead of Kentucky. Yeah. So, you know, it's almost like a – I don't want to say little brother syndrome. That's really rude um, because I, it's not my place. But but it does feel a little bit like that. Um, so it would be fun to see Kentucky beat Tennessee and to see just ball Twitter kind of melt down a little bit. Uh, last but not least, I'm not letting you out of here. BC, UConn. minus 14 against UConn. What are we thinking? Homecoming weekend. I think they're going to win big. Uh, UConn has been disappointing this year. I actually bought into what they were building there. Maybe they'll respond, but it's it's tough to have a year two like this. Um, yeah, I think BC rolls in this one. They got the momentum going. Thomas Castell- uh, Castellanos is is actually like – I saw a, a tweet comparison. It was comparing him and uh, who was the quarterback from NIU, something Lynch. Back in the day, there was a Heisman trophy. Yeah, Jordan. Uh, yeah Jordan Lynch. Jordan Lynch, right. Yeah, they have very similar stats through the first uh, seven games of the season. So watch out for – Thomas Castellanos from Boston College, quarterback. I'm sure all Ohio State fans will have their eyes glued to BC. Hey, you got to release root for Jeff Halfley at this point. Yeah, Ohio State fans, go root for Jeff Halfley and go root for the Buckeyes on Saturday night on the road at Wisconsin, 7.30 on NBC. Unless you're going there, then it's 6.30 because it's central time. Andy Backstrom and I will both be there, as will the 40-year vet Tim May. 
We'll be at Camp Randall. I'm excited. My first trip up there, Andy's second trip up there. Tim, I don't even want to count how many times he's been there. We'll have full coverage at lettermanroad.com. You can go get it all, $1 for the first month right now. Make sure to be tuned in, bold predictions on this very YouTube channel, Friday morning at 10 a.m. Then we're on to Madison. We're going up Ohio State, Wisconsin, like I said, 730. We will see you guys in Madison for a rapid reaction after the game. Enjoy your college football weekend.